little boy had kept riding his bicycle around the block and a police officer was sitting by the side of the road and he watched this little boy ride his bike around and around and around the block and so finally curiosity got the best of him he got out of his squad car and stopped the little boy and said son uh, you keep riding around this block over and over and over uh, what are you doing and the little boy said I'm running away from home and the officer said, running away from home, how can you be running away from home and keep going around the same block over and over? To which the little boy replied, because my mommy told me I couldn't cross the street. Uh, I have a similar story. When I was little in elementary school, I don't know, you know what happened, but apparently I had become convinced that I had suffered more injustice than what any human should ever have to endure. And so I decided I was going to run away. And uh, so I took off with a backpack and I got to uh, around our block. I was not allowed on Metal Arc. That was a high traffic road. And so I remember getting to Metal Arc and thinking, I'm not allowed on Metal Arc. So I went back home uh, after running away for a good 30, 40 seconds. However, when coming back home, as I walked in the door and announced that I was back home because I had ran away, there sat in our living room a visitation team of ladies from the local Baptist church. Amen. My parents had to be so proud and those Baptists are always the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah uh, this morning. Jonah's in the back of the Old Testament. It's in the last section of the Bible. It's known as the Minor Prophets. It is right next to Obadiah, which I'm sure is incredibly helpful, right? Uh, we're going to spend the next four weeks looking in the book of Jonah, one chapter a week in a series that I've titled, Man on the Run. And as we begin this series, there's two things on the front I want you to understand about the book of Jonah. Number one, I want you to understand this, this is not a story of a prophet or a great fish. This is a story about a merciful God. God and his mercy are the central focus of this passage. Uh, one of the things that uh, in Bible study that you need to understand is this. So there's a difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible. And so when you're reading the Bible, you're just scanning for content, trying to take in what's there. When you're studying the Bible, you're actually asking questions of the text. And so when you're studying a passage, you've got three tools at your disposal. Observation, interpretation, application. And so in other words, here's the way I phrase it. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it matter? And so what has that got to do with the book of Jonah? Well, here's the reality. The Jonah's only 48 verses long. I would encourage you as we walk through this series for a month now to read through the book of Jonah every single week. You can read through it every single day, actually, if you wanted to. But in those 48 verses, just from the principle of observation, what does it say? Here are some things we learn. Uh, in looking at that, the great fish uh, is only mentioned four times in 48 verses. The city of Nineveh is mentioned nine times in 48 verses. Jonah himself is only mentioned 18 times in 48 verses. But God is mentioned 38 times in 48 verses. And uh, one of the things we learn from observation is this. Anytime something's repeated over and over, that is the focus of that passage. And so the entire book of Jonah is not about a great fish. It's not about a running prophet. It is about a God who is merciful uh, to people who like to run. So that's the first thing I want you to understand about the book of Jonah. But the second thing I want you to understand as we begin this series through the book of Jonah is this, is that Jonah's story is all of our story because this simple fact, everyone in the room, me included, at times have ran from God. If you look around the room this morning in the first service, this was true as well. You're looking at a room full of ex-runners. Uh, and, and not only are we ex-runners, we are prone to take off at a moment's note. Listen, uh, Forrest Gump ain't got nothing on us, all right? 
Sometimes we just keep running and running. It's like the old hymn writer said, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so this book is about a merciful God whose heart is for prodigal sons and daughters who often run away from him instead of running towards him. But what you see in the story you're going to learn is God never gives up on Jonah. Uh, God never, uh, even when Jonah runs away, even when he pouts uh, under a vine, God never stops loving Jonah because here's the good news of, of the gospel. You cannot outrun the grace of God. God just keeps pursuing him in love. and We're going to see that as this story unfolds. So let's pick it up here in chapter one. We're going to read this morning, uh, verses 1 through 16. Uh, and if you're returning there, let me just share some fast facts about uh, the book of Jonah. Jonah's unique among the minor prophets in the sense that his entire ministry is on foreign soil. Uh, Jonah's unique in the Old Testament prophets and that uh, his uh, story revolves exclusively around a Gentile nation, which is just non-Jews. And Jonah's unique in the sense that he's the only Old Testament prophet that Jesus likened himself to. Uh, Jesus said in the New Testament, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be in the center of the earth. And so, uh, as we're turning there, we're going to discover some key passages uh, this morning in a room full of ex-runners like you and I. So, Jonah chapter 1, we'll look at verses 1 through 16. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But then the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. And so the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. And then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And so he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And so here's what we learn uh, from Jonah chapter 1. If anyone is making your life difficult, it's totally fine to throw them overboard. Amen? Don't, don't write that down. Listen, kids, um, if you've been a little rowdy, don't get excited about that Disney cruise that mom and dad booked, all right? There may be an alternative motive. When you leave today, lock yourself in the car. I share that as a concerned shepherd. 
And so the reality is in looking at Jonah, that's not a true principle. Uh, there are some incredible principles right here in this first passage. It's the focus I want you to see in this first passage of the book of Jonah is this. Is that people uh, who have not been overwhelmed by God's mercy will not run towards those who desperately need it. People have not come to a place and said, the mercy of God is overwhelmed me. I'm so overwhelmed that, that God has shown mercy to me. Those people who are not overwhelmed by the mercy of God will never run towards those who need it. Now, I'm going to make a statement that I sometimes feel like a broken record. I feel like I've said this a lot uh, since last fall. But I know that one of the ways we learn is through repetition. Uh, here's what I want you to uh, understand. Expressing anger at culture from behind a computer keyboard will do nothing to further God's kingdom agenda on earth. Uh, the immoral people in society are not the enemy, they are the mission field. But what will be required of us to reach them is not our anger, it's being vessels of God's mercy flowing through that. And if we don't understand that, then guess what? We'll be just like Jonah. Let me tell you why Jonah was so furious. Jonah was mad because from his perspective, God was going to extend mercy to the Ninevites. And Jonah's uh, heart was this. If there's no one who doesn't deserve the mercy of God, it's the Ninevites. If there's anyone who deserves God's judgment, it is absolutely uh, the Ninevites. And if we're not careful, we'll be exactly like Jonah, where instead of extending mercy to hurting people, we'll extend anger at our culture and we'll distance ourselves from them over and over again. When we do that, we'll be just like Jonah. Just like Jonah. Look at verse 2 again. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, that seems uh, odd to me that Jonah would be so upset at God saying that. Uh, Jonah was a, a prophet. Their whole life was tied up. And, and if you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, what you find out is this. Their message was one of judgment. Now, just in case you're wondering, that's not usually well received, even if it's true, all right? And so uh, this was a, a normal assignment. Jonah was used to going to places that did not like him. Jonah was used to going to people uh, and preaching who did not want to hear him. Jonah was used to his message being rejected. Why? Because that's the whole ministry of the prophets in the Old Testament, the Old Testament was not liked by anyone. So when God uh, gives this assignment to Jonah here in verse 2, for a prophet, listen, that's just another day in the office. That was not an uncommon request from God. However, it was an uncommon response from Jonah because Jonah goes in the opposite direction, trying to flee from God's presence. Now, uh, the reality is this. Uh, look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. And you're going to find out here in just a few verses, that was the most expensive boat ride he'd ever taken in all of his life. It had cost him far more than a few coins to get on that boat. And so the reality is simply this. Why, why in the world would, would a seemingly common job assignment, verse 2, produce a running prophet uh, in verse 3? And we condemn him and say, how horrible. Who would not want anyone to experience God's mercy? Why in the world would you run from the mercy of God being poured out on some people group? But before we uh, come down too hard on Jonah, let me help you walk in his shoes uh, just a little bit. The command in verse 2 would have been astonishing. Uh, God had never sent a prophet to a Gentile nation. Listen, Israel was used to people coming to them. They were God's covenant people. If you want to find out what it was like to be in community with the one true God, you would go to Israel and they would preach to their own people to return back to the Lord. So this was an unusual command. Jonah couldn't have went to a single co-worker and said, hey, I got this weird call from God. Have you ever been sent to a Gentile nation? Not a single person had ever done that. So it was unusual. 
But not only was it unusual, uh, it was uncomfortable. Let me tell you why. God was calling Jonah to do something that was absolutely unheard of. Go preach to the Ninevites, and from Jonah's perspective, there's not a people who deserve the judgment of God more. Let me just uh, describe this for you from a culture perspective. The Ninevites uh, and their barbaric war crimes rank, rank up there with the concentration uh, camp of the Nazis. Uh, they, they've discovered hieroglyphics in certain places uh, describing the behavior of the Ninevites to their victims. Uh, they would often uh, cut out their tongues. They would skin them alive. They would impale them in, over poles and then bronze them to make them look like trophies. They would turn them into people popsicles and put them on display all over as a sign of their conquest and victory. And those are the people that God is saying, hey, I want them to turn their hearts towards me. And Jonah's saying, no, no, don't let their hearts turn towards you, Lord. Extend your hand towards them in judgment, in destruction. Jonah's ancestors... Uh, would have been uh, exposed to the atrocities of the Assyrians. He said, hey, listen, those people, my great-grandparents and, and great-great-uncles, and they, they were suffered at the hands of those people. They were impaled. They were bronzed. No one deserves the mercy of God if it's these people. Let me give you some modern-day equivalents. It would be the equivalent of recent history and world history of telling a Jewish person to march into Hitler's office and tell him, hey, listen, if you'll just turn your heart towards the Father, God would lavish his mercy on you. It would be the equivalent of during the peak of the Civil Rights Movement for an African-American to walk into the Grand Imperial Wizard's office of the Ku Klux Klan saying, hey, listen, I just want you to know if you'll turn your heart to the Father, God will lavish mercy on you. When you look at the map and find out where is this place that God's called him to go preach to the Ninevites, it's modern-day Iraq. It would be the equivalent of a Coptic Christian of those who were beheaded walking into the headquarters of ISIS and saying, hey, listen, if you'll just turn your heart to the Father, God will lavish his mercy and his grace on you. That was the assignment that Jonah was given. And so from Jonah's perspective, to be faithful to God was to betray all of his country. Nineveh was the capital city for the Assyrians. And the Assyrians had taken Israel captive in 722 uh, BC. And so Jonah is running. Why? Because if there's no one who has deserves God's mercy, no one deserves, it's certainly the Ninevites. And all the while, Jonah's forgetting this, that even though he's God's covenant people, it's nothing he did. It's no favor he earned of God. It was solely the mercy of God that allowed Jonah into a covenant relationship. And here's the, the truth this morning, that people who have been transformed and experienced the mercy of God in salvation should be the first people to run towards those who desperately need God's mercy. But if you and I forget that, and we're no longer overwhelmed by the mercy that God showed us when he saved us. Guess what? We won't run towards culture. We'll run away from it. We won't run towards it in mercy. We'll stand back from it in protest and anger. A lot of people have uh, speculated. Why? Why did Jonah run? I've, I've, I've read whole sermons, people speculating about why did Jonah run? And maybe it was this and maybe it was this. Listen, you don't have to wonder why Jonah ran. Uh, Jonah chapter four, verse one, Jonah from his own mouth tells us why he ran. Listen to what it says. It says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. What change of plans? He preached and they, they, a revival broke out. And he became very angry. And so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love 
You are eager to turn back from destroying uh, people. Listen, Jonah was mad because God did what God often does. God extended mercy to people that deserve judgment. And this was a people group that Jonah said, no, they don't deserve mercy. They absolutely deserve your judgment. And so we're so offended. Like who in the world would respond that way? What Christ follower, what person of living in covenant with God would ever respond that way? Listen, every time that you and I pull away from a godless culture and get angry at culture, instead of running towards culture that desperately needs the mercy of God, you and I are just like Jonah. Can I just tell you this, that the further away from God that our culture and society gets, the greater the temptation will be to rail against it in anger. The greater the temptation will be is to isolate ourselves inside the safety of Christian circles. But listen, the call of God in our lives is to run towards a broken culture with mercy. Why? Because we've been transformed by mercy. If there's anyone who should be a vessel of mercy, it's people who deserve judgment like you and I, but God rained down mercy on our lives. And so we've been transformed by it, so we run towards people who need it. And if we don't, we are just like Jonah. What we forget is this, the truth of Romans chapter two, verse four. Listen to this verse. Do you not show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You know what led you to repentance? It wasn't the anger of God. It was, listen, it was the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Listen to the same verse in the message paraphrase. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he lets you off the hook? God is kind, but he's not soft. Listen, in kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical dependence and life change. His kindness is what changes us. Listen, if there's anyone who should have been a person transformed by the mercy of God, it should have been a prophet of Israel like Jonah. Their whole story was God loves us, God's for us, we're his special people. Oh, look, an idol. Lord, we're so sorry. We shouldn't have betrayed you. You love us. You're for us. You're good to, good to us. Oh, look, an idol. Over and over, God was extending patience and mercy and kindness and compassion. But Jonah forgot all of that. And as soon as you're no longer overwhelmed by the mercy that God has extended you, that is the very point where you'll no longer be running towards people who are desperately in need of the mercy of God. And the greatest indicator of that, instead of running toward them in mercy, you'll distance yourself from them in anger and contempt and disgust. And I believe the church, the evangelical church, in North America has been guilty of that for a long time. And the further away from our culture, further away from God they move, the greater the temptation will be is to distance ourselves in angry protest instead of running towards them, being vessels of God's mercy. Let me make this personal. When you encounter people who do not look like you, do not believe like you, do not vote like you, do you run towards them in mercy or do you distance yourself from them in anger or fear? Who in your life are you running towards that desperately needs the mercy of God? Can I tell you that no heart's ever been changed by angry protest? No heart's ever been changed 
by running away from people. You have to run towards people, actually impact them. And listen, the very moment we start distancing ourselves and pronouncing God's judgment on a godless culture, guess what? We are people who have no longer overwhelmed by the mercy that God extended us. And if we're no longer overwhelmed by the mercy that God's extended us, guess what? We'll never run towards people who desperately need his mercy. David Youth is the pastor at First Baptist Church in Orlando, this huge mega church in Orlando. He tells the incredible story of how uh, for years around the church there, on the corners around the church, uh, there was rampant prostitution. And he said over the last several years, um, he said that some of those women have come to know Christ as their Savior. He said just for a long time people would drive by and they, they would, you know, can you believe that? That's what's wrong with our country. Look at those people out there, sometimes not making eye contact, just disgust and contempt, distancing themselves from them in protest and in anger, uh, not recognizing these are broken people who desperately needed the mercy of God. And so finally, youth just said, hey, listen, those immoral people, they're not the enemy. They're the mission field. And he said, so we got serious about being vessels of God's mercy. He said, we started taking dinner to them at night. He said, when it was cold out, uh, we kept uh, giving them, uh, taking clothes to them and hot chocolate to them and he said little by little they began to see our love for them was genuine we became vessels of God's mercy and some of them started giving their lives to Christ and God radically saved them and transformed them and youth said this he said he asked one of these women were you not aware of the church before you got saved and here's her response and I'm going to share it verbatim what she said she said of course we were the building is huge. Thousands of people come in and out of that building. She said, but up until now, we were not convinced that you love whores like us. Do you know what happened? Some people who had been recipients of the mercy of God got overwhelmed to it to the point that instead of distancing themselves from people who weren't like them, they ran towards them in mercy. Why? Because people who have been overwhelmed by the mercy of God cannot help but run towards people who need the mercy of God, whose lives are broken. And if you don't, guess what? You're exactly like Jonah. Lord, they, don't, they deserve judgment. Listen, so did we. And God lavished his mercy on our lives. And when that transforms us and gets a hold of us, you can't help but run towards people who need the mercy of God. And if you don't, you are just, just like Jonah. Just like Jonah. If there's anyone who understands getting mercy when you deserve judgment, it should be us. And the most compassionate, mercy-filled people on the earth should be followers of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing I want you to see in this passage is this. To run away from God is to run towards consequences. Do you realize that when God gives you an assignment, you've got three choices every single time, regardless of what that assignment is. Number one, you can openly rebel and shake your fist at God. Number two, you can surrender or submit. Number three, you can try and run from God's presence. Now, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet, so he knew from firsthand experience how futile it was when people shook their fist at God and angry. He knew that didn't turn out well. However, his heart wouldn't soften uh, to the point where he could submit to that and go preach the gospel and repentance uh, to these Ninevites. So Jonah tried to run from the presence uh, of the Lord. Jonah uh, stated that he's going to find his identity in something other than being a God-defined person. Now, here's what you need to understand. You will never run from the presence of God. 
You can run from the house of God. You can run from the people of God. You can run from the word of God. But you will never run from the presence of an omnipresent God. And people have been trying though, haven't they? For years, some of us in this room have tried many, many times. But God, you cannot run uh, God's grace. And at the heart of disobedience is selfishness. Lord, I hear what you want. But more than what you want for these wicked people, this is what I want for them. Jonah's favorite restaurant was Burger King. He loved to have it his way. And every time that we start running and God says, don't, don't. What we think is God's trying to control us. What we think is God's trying to corral it. You see, here's the fallacy of running from God. We think we're running from God's presence. We're running out to an open field, right? I mean, listen, we're like the sound of music. I'm running, I'm running, look at me. And all the while, you're not running into freedom. You're running into the slavery of sin and its consequences. Over and over. Every time God says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. One of my favorite quotes from Warren Wearsby says this. The safest place in all the world is in the will of God. But the temptation of running from God, the freedom that it falsely promises sometimes is so overwhelming that we take off running. One writer said this, he said, if the grass looks greener on the other side, just remember that manure makes great fertilizer. Be careful what you're running towards. To run from God is not to run to freedom, to run from God is to run straight into consequences. We have a dog in our house, her name is Daisy. Whatever people ask me, what breed of dog is that? I always reply, a dumb one. <laughs> that dog gets the most expensive dog food in the, dog, in the whole pet store. That dog sleeps in someone's bed every single night. That dog gets groomed. That dog, uh, could, listen, that dog can never survive outside. That we let the dog outside. Listen, she don't want to be inconvenienced sometimes by going outside to go to the bathroom. We let her outside. It's raining. She doesn't want to go outside. The, this winter, we let her outside. Uh, she just stood there at the door. And I said, you know what she's saying right now? Tasha said, what? She's saying, hurry up. It's cold outside. I've got to go to the bathroom. Let me in. But despite the comfort of being in our house and everything, the safety that's there, that dog is a runner. I cannot tell you how many times we've had to fly out of that house in the morning in our pajamas calling on the name of the Lord loudly for that dog to come back home. But thankfully, our dog is an ex-runner. And I wish I could tell you that she had come to the place of repentance, but she has not repented. But she has been electrocuted by the underground fence we installed. Amen? I have to confess. The first day we had that fence installed, I paid $1,400 for that fence to be installed. The first time that we opened the door, the fence was on. She shut off that door. And I said, run, girl, run. She got on the other side of that fence. I mean, like she's having a seizure. I should have ran out and grabbed her, but I said, kids, come out and look at the dog. Every now and then, if I get angry at her, sometimes I just pick her up and walk her toward the fence line. You know how this is going to end. 
Here's what she knows now, praise God. That to run away from the father (laughs) is to run towards consequences. Now, here's the reality. Sometimes, if we're honest, we're not as smart as my dog. Because we think we can run from the father into freedom. But listen, to run from the father is to run straight towards consequences. Jonah thought he was paid the fare and he was sailing off into freedom away from God's presence in his life. But he didn't, he's just sailing towards consequences. Look at verses 10, 11, and 12. Verses 10, 11, and 12. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said, And why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Listen, when Jonah set out, what he thought is, I'm sailing into freedom. But to go away from God's presence is not to go to freedom, it's to go into consequences. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you, verse 11, that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Here's what I want you to also see in verse 12 uh, is this, is that uh, sin never happens uh, in a vacuum. That our consequences will always affect those around us. I could tell you story after story after story of, of someone who ran from God's presence and it destroyed their life. And the ripple effect from their consequences destroyed all the people around them. And all the while, they thought this, I'm just hurting myself. I'm not hurting anyone else. I'm just running towards freedom. But the ripple effect of their consequences caused the waves of devastation to wash over their family and sometimes the only thing those people can do to be safe is to remove themselves from that person's presence and I've heard these people say this over and over and over well everyone abandoned me no 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 listen the only thing they could do to be safe again was to get off the boat with you because the ripple effect of running from God has an impact on everyone around you listen everyone on that boat Figure that out. Everyone in your life when you run from God learns that through a hard experience. You say, how patient and merciful was God? Go back to verse 5. Jonah's running from God's presence. God calls him to throw overboard. Next week we'll talk about he gets swallowed by a great fish. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. How patient, how many times God tried to get Jonah's attention. Uh, verse 5, and the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was on the ship in the sea to lighten the load. Uh, listen, how bad was this storm that God was going to get his attention? It was bad enough that professional sailors were, were scared to death. You ever been on a plane before? Listen, I'm, I'm totally fine with flying unless we hit turbulence. Uh, I was flying on a plane one time. I was going to a conference, and we're sailing along, and just we had this one pocket of turbulence. Like, I looked down to make sure the bottom of the plane was still there because I thought, the bottom just fell out. I was scared to death. So what I do during that time, uh, listen, I just, I look at the stewardesses. Because I'm thinking if they're okay, then we're probably okay. Either that or they're good actors. But either way, they're not panicked, so I'm not going to panic. Listen, how bad was the storm? Professional sailors were panicked. God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. God will do whatever it takes to, to start you back towards, pointing back towards him. God will do whatever it takes to let you know you're headed toward destruction. Verse 6, so the captain came to him, look at this. And so what do you mean, sleep arise? Listen to this. Call on your God, perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. He didn't say our God. This was a pagan person telling someone, call on the Lord. 
You don't think Jonah would wake up and go, oh, I've been a prophet for years. Pagan people don't naturally call on the Lord. God is speaking through this person. Uh, They're not even a believer. They're saying, hey, would you call on your God? I don't believe in him. It's your God, not mine. But would you do something? Trying to get his attention. Then verse 7 said, let's one another come, let us cast lots. Do we know whose trouble has come upon us? They cast lots and it fell to Jonah. So Verse 5, I'm going to send a storm. I'm not listening. I'm sleeping. Verse 6, I'm going to tell you, a lost person is going to tell you, start praying. I'm not listening. Verse 7, what did they do? They were playing dice. Now, is that a good way to determine God's will? Uh, listen, in the Old Testament, before Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt men, and the Holy Spirit guides us before that time, this was a way they determined God's, uh, God's will and God's leadership. That never happens again after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, because the Holy Spirit now indwells us and guides us. But before that, listen, they cast dice, and it fell at Jonah's feet. And God said, are you listening? Now, here's a question. Why in the world... Why in the world would we ever run from a God who loves us and is for us? We look at it Jonah's life and go, that's ridiculous. How hard-hearted. All the while forgetting that we're sitting here as ex-runners who are ready to take off at a moment's notice. I wrote down some things. I'm going to share these with you quickly of why we run, I think. Sometimes it's fear. God may ask me to do something I'm scared to do. Sometimes it's selfishness. Yes, I know what the Lord wants me to do. This is what I want to do at the expense of what he wants me to do. Sometimes it's bitterness. You know, I used to run towards the Lord. and He allowed this trial into my life. And so so I'm I'm done with that. I'm just, if if that's what it looks like to be close to the Lord, I'm going to run from him. Sometimes it's discomfort. What if God allows suffering What if God allows something to happen that that I don't want to happen? Sometimes it's pride. I think I know better than God when it comes to my life. And so here's the good news. From Jonah chapter 1, we see the very first chapter. That God is a God who extends mercy to people who do not deserve it. And God patiently waits for runners to come back home. Until they're safe again. Now listen. If you're here. At the heart of your being. You're a runner. That's good news. That no matter how fast we run. We cannot outrun the grace of God in our lives. That is good news. And if you're here. And you're running from God. The good news is this. If you'll turn back towards him this morning. You'll find him patiently. Waiting. Because our God is a God who loves runners. You will never outrun the grace of God. And when that overwhelms your heart and his mercy transforms you, guess what? You'll find the rest of your life is spent not running away from people, but running towards those who desperately need the mercy of God. So church, if we're going to run, let's run towards people. Amen. Let's run towards people. Would you bow your heads this morning? With your head bowed this morning, I just want to ask you a simple question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Or have you been running from Him most of your life? 
Have you ran toward Jesus Christ on the cross, crying out for his forgiveness? Or have you been trying to do your own thing apart from God? Running. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you've never accepted Christ, listen, here's the good news. No matter how far you've ran, no matter how long you've ran, it only takes one step in the other direction. And you'll find that God is there patiently waiting on you for you. Our God is a God who loves runners. And if you'll run towards him this morning and receive him, he'll receive you in salvation. Would you pray and receive Christ right now? Would you confess your sins before a holy God and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? Invite him into your life and ask him to say, would you do that? Or you can be saved right now, right in your seat. You can be saved this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in church, so on the outside it looks like you're running after God, but in the inside where you know God sees, you're actually running from the Lord. You're running from His will for your marriage. You're running from His will, call on your life. I believe in this room this morning in both services, there are people who have been called of God into full-time ministry who've spent years and years and years running. I believe that God has called people in each room, each service, to be on mission field, surrender their life to Christ, and, but they're running because they got a plan for life. Maybe you're here and if you're honest, your response to the godless culture around us is to distance yourself from it in anger or to isolate yourself in the safety of Christian circles. But this morning you reminded that God and his mercy has transformed you to the point where you have to run towards people as a vessel of God's mercy. And so if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm tired of running from the Lord. Pastor, I'm tired of running away from culture that needs the mercy of God. And today, I'm going to run a different direction. I'm going to run towards the Lord and towards the people that need His mercy. Would you make that decision right now? Who in your life needs the mercy of God that you need to start running towards? Father, I pray Lord, that you would transform our hearts. And that, God, we would not come to the place where we're so mad at the culture around us that we disengage. Or we're so mad that all we do is protest and post about what's wrong with the world. But, God, that we would be vessels of your mercy. That, God, we would remember that the kindness of God led us to repentance. God, thank you for loving us so much that you'll do whatever it takes to protect us from hurting ourselves. And God, help us to remember as we leave this morning that the safest place to be is right in the center of your will. God, thank you for loving runners like us. May we be overwhelmed by your mercy to the point that we're vessels for it. That is the hope for our world. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ because we can. Amen.